Thanks, Jeremy. Uh, we had Ofsted this week at my school, and uh, if you, uh, any of you know anything about teaching, you know what Ofsted is. It's the Office of Standards of Education. And uh, I won't go into it a lot, but I want to just say this. It's like having a two-day dentist's appointment <laughs> where you're having your teeth pulled out throughout the two days, and as somebody said to me this morning, without any anaesthetic. So when the call comes at 12 o'clock on Tuesday, and they're in the next day, and I just knew the sermon was here this week, I'm like, immediately I was like, Lord, you have to help me. I've done about a third of what a preparate would normally do, but this is a good place to be when you believe in a God that can help you. So that's where I am this morning. Ofsted has four grades. There's inadequate, requires improvement, good, and, and outstanding in four different areas. I can tell you that I'm feeling a little bit inadequate this morning. My preparation has required improvement, but I'm hoping, I'm confident in the Lord's help that I can be good. But I also know that Jesus' words are outstanding. So uh, it, that's, that's all I'm going to mention. And just by way of helping me settle down, I've got three jokes for you. Um, a hamburger walks into a bar and he says, can I have a pint of cider, please? And the barman just ignores him. He says, can I have a pint of cider, please? Why are you ignoring me? He said, well, I don't serve food. <laughs> so two, two, jump leads, two jump leads walk into a bar and he says, can I have a pint of cider, please? And the barman says, uh, I don't normally serve jump leads, but as long as you don't start anything. And finally, two television aerials met and fell in love in my road recently. Two television aerials. And I uh, went to their wedding. I was good friends with them, went to their wedding. I have to say the service was terrible, but the reception was brilliant. <laughs> Just by way of a show of hands, who thinks they were totally inadequate? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and those of you listening, uh, there was a sea of hands. Uh, those of you listening on MP3, then, uh, there was a sea of hands then. Look, uh, why don't you turn in your Bibles to John 16, chapter 1. And I just want to say thank you to Keith who asked me to preach, invited me to preach this morning. You're not here, Keith, but I hope you'll be listening on MP3. So, thank you. Uh, John chapter 16, uh, verses 1 to 11. And if you've got a phone or a Bible that's online, then there's a password in a new sheet to help you get online. Okay, John chapter 16, 1 to 11. Jesus said, all this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. It's a cheery start, isn't it? They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. And this title in my Bible now says, The Work of the Holy Spirit. And the title for my sermon today really is, We Need the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said in verse 5, Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief, but I tell you the truth. It is for your good. That I am going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. 
in regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So that's the passage, and as I said, the title for this morning is, We Need the Holy Spirit, which, when I was doing preaching course a few years ago here with Mike Bowman, he says, if you can't summarise your sermon in one sentence, you haven't thought about it properly. So there's my one sentence, we need the Holy Spirit. And I'll come back to that time and time again in the next, I hope, half an hour, my stopwatch is on. Just in terms of laying out where we're heading, um, Esther and I, who I can't see Esther, that's great in your time, oh there she is. Esther and I lead a missional community called Connect. And uh, what we've done over the last couple of meetings is we've actually recorded some stories about what we've what we believe God's been doing with us in our workplaces, in our community. So I'm going to open up some thoughts, and then there's going to be some DVD clips from Connect. I'm going to talk about uh, what I think the Lord is saying through this passage, and then we're going to have some more clips, and then we're going to finish up with plenty of time to respond to some of that prophetic that's already gone on here this morning. And I really believe that God's here already, and that we've got a chance to meet with him this morning. So there's going to be plenty of time for all of that. Now, when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit here, this isn't like a one-off first time that he mentions the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was involved from the right, obviously before Jesus' birth, at birth and right throughout his life. Let me give you a few headlines as we start. At birth in Luke chapter 1, the angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. When she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, right at the start, was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And actually, when he's still in Mary's womb, Mary goes to visit her friend Elizabeth, and Elizabeth gets baptised in the Spirit, just spontaneously as Jesus walks in the door, as it were, in uh, Mary's womb. That'd be great to pray for you, Bex, later, wouldn't it? A couple of weeks to go, and it'd be great to pray that you're filled with... Less than two weeks, it's absolutely clear, it's less than two weeks. It'd be good to pray that the Holy Spirit would come into your womb there. But right from the start, the Holy Spirit was on Jesus, right from his birth. In John chapter 1, at the beginning of his uh, ministry, John John says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. So physically, there is a manifestation on Jesus' ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself said in John 3, about salvation. Truly I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So for salvation, we can't be saved without the Holy Spirit working in us. It says in John chapter 4, about you know, eternity and work, God's work in us for eternity. Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John chapter 6, he said, The spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. 
John chapter 7. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And that's a word for some people here today. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. John chapter 14, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, a counsellor to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And finally, John chapter 15, when the counsellor comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So Jesus from before birth, at his birth, throughout his ministry, in his ministry, on him, to others, has always been talking about the Holy Spirit. When we come to this passage in John 16, it's not a one-off. It's not just a, ah, Holy Spirit. Actually, Jesus throughout his life has shown that the Holy Spirit is on him, in him, through him, and he's talked about him throughout his ministry. So that's... That's my first thought today, is that when we come to this passage, it's not just a one-off. And now we're going to have some DVD clips. So the Connect, just to explain a little bit, uh, the tagline for our missional community, Connect, is uh, Connecting Work, Community and Kingdom. So what we've got here is some testimonies. Obviously, we hope the Holy Spirit is involved with these, uh, but what we've got is people in different places of work, in different areas of their community, talking about how they're trying to work out their faith. Um, in, in those places. So today, I don't just want the sermon to be theoretical. I hope these stories, we've got three now and another two later, I hope these will help us ground what we're talking about today. Thanks. Recently, after starting a new job, uh, working, up at the, working up at the John Radcliffe, I was having to resolve uh, uh, an issue of two staff being accidentally overpaid a uh, salary in, in some consecutive months, an issue that had gone data back before I joined the team and started the, started the new job. The solution being put forward was uh, seemed unfair in as much as one of the staff members was going to be asked to pay back uh, this accidental overpayment, which had happened because of some admin error, uh, and the other staff member was not going to be asked to pay back an overpayment, which had happened because of some sick leave calculation that had again been done incorrectly and I felt uneasy about that partly because I didn't want uh, there to be uh, angst within the team when the two members of staff realised that one had had to pay back this overpayment the other hadn't but also wanted wanted there to be fairness and justice uh, worked out in the team and wanted there to be uh, fairness in how the staff members were being treated. So um, I spent just a bit of time thinking and praying about what the best approach would be and went back to my matron, essentially my manager, to discuss the issue a bit further and managed to point out to her some of the issues from my perspective and essentially we agreed to uh, deal with the staff in a equitable way and uh, for a couple of reasons, neither staff had to pay the money back and uh, a, I think a sense of peace and order uh, was kind of established within the team, which I think is a good thing generally, uh, a good kingdom principles to be uh, establishing within uh, the work environment. So a simple story, but of uh, kingdom values at work. Um, a gentleman at work, this saw a appeared and 
wouldn't go away despite regular dressings, etc. Went into hospital, was there several days. Came home, we thought it had taken, but it broke down. Um, and uh, at that point, I think uh, they were even considering that they might have to amputate his foot. Well, what what did you say to him, and what happened to you? What was going on inside of you then? Well, I I just know God can heal, and I, I felt that I wanted to tell him that. Um, I had a, a feeling that he what did have some kind of antagonism towards Christianity, but I decided I would would just tell him that God, I believe God can heal, and I've seen people being healed, and uh, I, told, I told him that God, I was going to start praying. What was his reaction to that then? Um, well, I don't believe in God, but if you want to pray, you can. So what, what happened then, Claire? What was, uh, how did it develop and then finish? So, at this point then, we decided to recontact the uh, tissue viability nurse, who happened at that point to be a Christian. This was a different nurse that came this time. And she straight away suggested a particular type of dressing and bandaging, which we went ahead. How did it end up then? Well, it ended up that the whole um, leg virtually healed in front of our eyes. I mean, every time we did the dressing, it, it improved dramatically. And this is a situation that's been going on for how long? 18 months. And how's his leg now, today? It's almost there. But he's still having dressings, but I'm still telling him that God's, you know, that there's prayer that's done this. But we've gone from a near amputation yeah. to now he's, yeah. he's nearly, nearly completely healed, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Great. Thank you. Okay. Um, I knew my neighbour was in difficulty with his marriage, so I bumped into his wife. Uh, in Sainsbury's and I said to her how's things and she just dissolved into tears so obviously I said look I'm, uh, we're here to help Claire and I are here to help do you want to speak to him and she just dissolved in tears as I said and, and said you can do whatever you want you can if you feel you can do so if not then that's fine as well so I said okay I'll, I'll pray about it Claire and I will pray about it and leave with me so she came, she went home, I came home, and funny enough, he was doing my fence. And uh, I waited till all the pavement was all through and all the fence was finished, which I thought was a good place to start. He knocked at the door, I said, You can tell me where to go if you want to, it's nothing to do with me. But I said, This is just absolutely at the end of the road with, with you. And he looked intently and he looked intensely at me and I actually was able to speak to him and say, look, Claire and I are here to help you, so we'll speak to you, we'll pray with you, because we've been through things as well and we know that God's on our side and we can, we can help in that way. And instead of him telling me it's nothing to do with me, he listened and he was thankful for what I was saying to him. And he went home, and that was the end of that for the time being, until about two weeks later, um, I bumped into his wife again, and I said, how's things? She said, you know, 
things are a lot better. And I said, well, Denise, that's, that's prayer. God's been on your side, on your case, on his case or whatever. And so it all went from there, really. And now that was about a year, 15 months ago. And things are really great with them. And that's all down to God's intervention. And uh, I spoke to them about six weeks ago. And they said to each other, they looked at each other, and she said to his, her husband, there's something in this prayer stuff, isn't there? And he went, I think there must be. The key things of those stories are a few things, aren't they? Praying, and prayer works. And there's a bit of risk-taking in there, isn't there? A little bit of sensitive risk-taking. I don't think sharing the gospel or being provocative about the kingdom is about wading in with weird stuff that creates a confrontation or a weirdness. Because that just lacks emotional intelligence. But there is something about faith that has a bit of risk in it. that We, have to, we just have to find those sensitive ways of going the next step with people. So those are, there's a couple more stories to come. But I, we, we're part of Connect and we're trying to explore what all this stuff means tomorrow. And I hope that gives you a bit of an insight. So back to the passage, Jesus' words about the Holy Spirit in this passage. Now we have to understand the context of what Jesus was saying to them. These disciples thought that Jesus was about to revolutionise the world. Some of them thought that the Roman Empire was going to be overthrown. They were loving it. There's this miraculous leader, the Messiah, and their Roman Empire, which had been oppressing them all, was going to be overthrown. Some of them thought that. Some of them thought that he was going to establish an elite, unstoppable miracle hit squad to change the world that way. And they were very excited about that. James and John, you know, Lord, let's call down thunder and on these people. They were just miracles. Come on, let's just let's get on with this. But they all knew something special was going off. And then Jesus seems to go off the rails a bit. He um, seems to press self-destruct. He sort of goes off message a bit. Because he starts talking about somebody who's about to betray them betray him. He reveals that he's about to leave them and that they can't come with him. Peter says, I'll come with you anywhere, Lord Jesus. And he says, don't worry about it, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. So throughout chapters 13 and 14, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled time and time again. This is a really worrying time for the disciples. Their whole world is absolutely changing. He then, you know, as I started reading today, he talks about persecution and being scattered And he says, in fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. I mean, way to go on the encouragement leadership style, Jesus. Let's tell you the facts. The facts are that I'm going to be killed, you're all going to be scattered, all of this is going to change. Their worlds were being absolutely turned upside down when Jesus speaks these words. And let's just pause and imagine what that felt like for the disciples. You spent two or three years walking with Jesus, who you believe is the Messiah. You've got multiple evidence for that. Miracles happen all the time. People's lives are changed. The lame are walking. Demons are getting cast out. The sick are being healed. And they are seeing that daily and walking with Jesus. And he starts to say, it's all changing, lads. All that you know and hope for is changing. Can you imagine the confusion, disillusionment, worry that that was causing in the disciples. You know when somebody says to you, don't worry about it, it has the exact opposite effect? It's like when some people say, with all due respect, and they mean they have no respect. And when you say, don't worry, it causes you to worry. When you say, don't go on the grass, you want them to go on the grass. I mean, this is the sort of, Jesus knew that, of course. When Jesus said, don't worry, 
don't let your hearts be troubled, they're all like, what, 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 what shall I be troubled about? It has the exact opposite impact. They were all over the place. But isn't this a bit about the kingdom of God for us? That the, things, the usual order of things gets turned upside down. You're feeling troubled, worried, bereft, security and excitement in Jesus about to be removed. And this is a good thing? This is the great reversal in the kingdom of God. Even in our worst times, it should be good times. I mean, Paul said in Corinthians, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul said, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I mean, how do we understand this? That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, I delight in insults, in hardships, hardships, in offstead, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The kingdom of God turns absolutely everything upside down. And Jesus was doing this to his disciples. At the peak time of his fruitfulness and impact, he was saying, lads, it's all going to change. But he says this wonderful phrase, it is better for you that I go. That is madness. You have to understand what that would have sounded like to the disciples. It is madness. He said, it's better for you that I go because I will send the Holy Spirit. We have to understand what this meant for the disciples. In this total confusion and desolation, Jesus is saying, it's better for you if I go because I'm only with you as a person when I'm here. When I send the Holy Spirit, he can be with all of you all the time. This is phenomenal if we actually begin to understand what he was saying. So what was this Holy Spirit going to do? He was called the counsellor, the paraclete, the helper to help us. We'll talk a bit bit more about that later. But he says um, in verses uh, 9, 10 and 11, the Holy Spirit will come to convict the world of sin. Now let's be clear about when Jesus talks about sin. What's the key thing? When we talk about sin, that old-fashioned word, we think, well, the standards of what God expects. Jesus said, doesn't say that. He says that sin, the first thing about sin is that they do not believe in me. They do not believe in me. I don't know about you, but when um, in a postmodern world where Christ has to compete in the marketplace of ideas, it's very difficult to have those conversations now that say, well, Jesus is the only way, the truth, and life. People say, well, what about other religions? I don't mind your religion, but what about other religions? It's virtually impossible now to win that argument. There was a time when it was right or wrong, and you could just say Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. Right, okay, and you believe it or not. But this postmodern world we live in, where ideas compete with each other, it's very difficult. I don't know whether you've got friends that you've been witnessing to, or you've been praying for, and actually you think, well, I don't know what else to say. Do you know what they need? They need the Holy Spirit to convict them of their sin. And I can't do that. You can't do that. And actually, when we get involved in that as Christians, we get on a hobby horse that sounds self-righteous and telling people off. It's actually best we back off that hobby horse and let the Holy Spirit come and convict. We should be witnessing more about what God can do to help them, and we should be praying more that the Holy Spirit comes to convict them. Because if we get it the other way around, our message sounds hollow and dictatorial and right-wing and actually self-righteous. Why don't we pray more that God convicts them of their need of him and that their sin that they don't believe in Jesus 
whilst all the time telling them some stories about what God's doing in our lives. If we flip that over, we might see a bit of a change. The evidence of this is in Acts 2, when um, where the Holy Spirit, Jesus has gone by now, and the Holy Spirit is prevalent everywhere. Check this out in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Peter's been preaching for a while. It's not, I'm not saying that words aren't important. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying relationships aren't important. I'm not saying that trying to argue our faith isn't important. That's all important. It's just that it's not enough. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, it says, When the people heard this, this is Peter preaching, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, Brothers, what can we do? When was the last time you or I had a conversation with someone where at the end of it they say, what can we do to be saved? I mean, there may be some, and if there are, please come and tell them at the end to encourage us, and there, there could be. We've had a friend of ours come, become a Christian recently. And uh, it's been amazing, and she talks absolutely of conversion and ch- changing life and whatever, and we'll, we'll try and get that story out at some point, and, and we've been talking to her before today, but she couldn't make it. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, Brothers, what shall we do? That's not Peter, that was the Holy Spirit as he spoke. So the Holy Spirit comes to convict of sin. We need him to help us. Come to convict the world of righteousness. Because I go to the Father and you can't see me. So Jesus is saying, Look, I've been helping you understand what the standard is. I'm here, I've been teaching you, I'm here, I embody it. You walk with me, you know what to do. I'm now going, so what are you going to do? Ah, but don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit will come and help you. So you know all those bracelets we've had? I don't know. I'm, you know I'm a teacher. I'm completely out of touch with youth culture. Um, I played Jamiroquai in my lesson the other day. And I said, who knows Jamiroquai? Uh, I thought I was like the, the, the hick, trendy teacher. One kid, one kid puts her hand up. And my self-esteem just plummeted. And I'm like, I am a total has-been. So I'm totally out of touch with youth culture. Uh, some of you knew that already, but it was a revelation to me. Uh, and those bracelets, do, do kids still wear them? What would Jesus do? No, no, it's James is in touch with youth culture. Not for long, mate, though, not for long. Um, you, it will come to you with a paunch as well. All right, so what would Jesus do? There was a time when bracelets would, 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 would be the thing. What would Jesus do? The thing is, the Holy Spirit is, help, is here to help us know what Jesus would do. That's what Jesus was saying. Don't worry about it, disciples. And he says to us, don't worry about it too much. You need the Holy Spirit to help you. So he comes to convict the world of righteousness. And I tell you, there's an extreme, again, back in Acts, when the Holy Spirit had been poured out. In Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira, obviously it's a bit extreme that they get killed for lying. But the Holy Spirit was helping that church know what righteousness was. He's able to do that. Peter didn't do anything. He said, you've lied to us. And they got killed. But I mean, you know, I haven't got time to go into that. I'm just saying that if you look through the book of Acts, you can see the Holy Spirit moving all the time. He was doing stuff, and the church was just keeping up with it, catching up with it. We just, how often do we try and we're trying to crank start a tank in terms of our faith and our kingdom and our witness? And actually, of course, it's right that we try. It's just that we need the Holy Spirit to come and help us. You know, Steve's neighbours, the next step, or uh, Dave's next step at work. Or Malcolm at BMW, which you hear about in a bit. What's the next? I don't know. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. And he comes to convict the world of judgment. The judgment that the, 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 the enemy, the devil, there'll be, there'll be a day of reckoning for us all. For Christians and non-Christians. 
there'll be a day of reckoning. This, is a, this isn't a very postmodern sermon. You know, you'll come to convict the world of judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. There will be a day when this all comes together and God wraps up eternity and he says, right, there's a day of reckoning. It's not for us to worry about that. Let's let the Holy Spirit worry about that. But Jesus said, don't worry about it to the disciples. But they were worrying about it. They were completely bereft, lost, confused, disillusioned. He says, don't worry about it. It's better for you. And we can only consider that in our lives, if we've got things that we can't cope with and we don't know what to deal with, and things aren't quite what we want, and we aren't quite seeing what we expect. The only way we can believe that it's better for us is if we have faith. To be sure of the things we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. Some next clips, please. Uh, so, Malcolm, you were helping your father-in-law or something, is that right? Uh, that's right. Uh, after that, my father-in-law, he's 80, 85, and uh, so I popped up to see him and helping him out, and, he, and then he mentioned to me that his next neighbour had a problem with her TV reception, and he, he invited my, my, my services <laughs> to sort it out. So I popped round to see them. Yeah. Spent about 20 minutes with them, worked out that the area had been disconnected, um, probably by the home help dusting, and just plugged it back in again and off it went. No, no problem. Uh, so I went back to, went back, back to report back what I've done to him, and uh, his, his comment was that, that is what, yeah, that's what he thinks Christians are all about, is serving other, uh, others. So our neighbour, um, we've known for uh, about 10 years, we know the whole family quite well. He's had health problems a couple of years ago and we've offered two or three times to pray for him before and he's just been quite dismissive of it. Um, but in the summer, uh, he, he was over here and he came to eat with us. Um, and Rich at this point took the children to the garden and left me with him listening to this story. Um, but I knew at this point, one, that he'd just had his second heart attack and was recovering from that, and also that um, he was struggling in his marriage. So I was sitting there listening to this story thinking, that's really what I care about for you and what I really want to know, what's going on in your life. Um, so I just started to ask him questions about, about him and about his health as well. And he then, it turned out that the previous night he'd had a panic attack um, because he'd had this heart attack and he was just really worrying about any pains that he was getting. So he talked quite a lot about that and the sort of fear, really, that he was feeling about it. Um, and so I just said, well, could we, would you like us to pray for you? Um, and he said, yes, I'll try anything. So we carried on talking a little bit more and then Rich came back in. So I was like, you know, gulp, uh, this is weird. Um, it's in the kitchen, oh, I don't feel like this, but I knew it was right. And then something clicked in me where I thought, I've got to do, I've got to pray, we've got to pray as if we were in church, which for me meant taking it seriously, putting a hand on his shoulder like I would in church and actually believing that, that God would meet him and that something would happen. So we prayed with him and um, we prayed a number of things with him. And at the end, I said, you know, like I would probably if I was praying for Sunday in church, I said, look, what, um, 
what happened? You know, did you feel anything? And he said, well, I felt strangely warm. And um, I said, well, I had my hand on your shoulder. You mean, you mean I, your, your shoulder was warm? He said, no, no, I felt strangely warm all over and deeply at peace in my inside. And so, you know, um, he hasn't become a Christian yet, but we did pray for him in our kitchen and God was there. We'll save that one for another time. That's about Gideons and assemblies at school. We'll, we'll save that for another time. Guys, look, let's just uh, try and bring this plane to land. Um, just recap where we come from. Let's leave lots of time to pray. But Jesus talked about and embodied the Holy Spirit right from the start of his ministry. Uh, and him leaving, dying, leaving, and sending the Holy Spirit it was all part of his plan. He said that the Holy Spirit, him leaving was better for us and better for those disciples because the Holy Spirit would then would come. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict and convince others about the gospel. And he can equip and help us and be our counsellor. Just in terms of applying this to this week then, I, you know, there's some great verses that I love that I want to just share with you that are not as part of this passage, but I think would help us. James 1, chapter 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let us ask God who gives liberally and it will be given to you. So my first thing about uh, applying this this week, today for this week, is we need to ask God for wisdom and he will give it to us. Psalm 32, verse 8. This is a verse for somebody. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Psalm 73 says, Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And after you will take me into glory. So that's my first application Encouragement. We need to ask God for wisdom. Secondly, we need to be thirsty for this counsellor. Glad you like this verse this morning, Lulu, when we were praying. Isaiah 44, verse 2. God said to Isaiah, through Isaiah, I will pour water on him who's thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour water on him who's thirsty and floods on the dry ground. So my question is, are we thirsty this morning? I am. I'm happy to say I'm thirsty. I'm happy to say that I'm a, I'm a bit of a dry ground. Because it seems to me when we admit that and we come to God, he says, I'll come. When you're at your lowest, you can be at your highest. When you're feeling weak, you can be strong. When you feel empty, you can be full. When you're thirsty, you can be filled. And thirdly, we need to take some practical steps in our world and our lives to make space for the Holy Spirit. Steve, spoke, uh, Steve Jones spoke very eloquently last week about making space. He talked about praying in tongues. He talked about making space for prayer. He talked about two-hour slots, which was a bit scary, but you know, he said a lot of other things that were good, and all of that was good. We need to take some practical steps to allow us to know God in our weeks. And if we've forgotten that, about prayer and actually coming to God deliberately, we've probably forgotten something that's worth remembering. Prophecies that, that during the service and during the worship Lulu said to me before the service, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I think that's come out today during the service as well. Caroline shared that that God is big and there's nothing he can't do. Bex sang, lift up my eyes to the hills and that God watches over us. Simon talks about mountains being thrown into the heart of the sea. There was a song that I thought was prophetic. It was up there, it was 
towards the end, and it said, God, you're the God who brings order out of chaos. So those were, that's what God's been saying prophetically. And there's a few other things that I felt prophetically as well. Suzanne, I'm so glad you're here. I couldn't see you earlier, so I'm glad you're here. It says, I don't know where the verse is, but it says in the Bible, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. And even though you're like a bruised reed and a smouldering wick, God says, you will not be snuffed out, because I am with you. It's not about your strength. I am with you, which means you cannot be snuffed out. And those people who try and touch you, they touch me. I'm a jealous husband for you. I protect you and hover over you, jealously guarding you. I never leave you or abandon you. I believe he says to you, he's got a plan for your life, Suzanne. He wants to ignite new beginnings for you. And you don't have to be like anyone else. You look around sometimes, you say, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not a prayer like that person. I, I'm not like that. God says, I don't want you to be like everyone else. I want you to be you. And God says, I heard, I've heard your prayers for your family and for those closest to you. That even last night you were crying out to me, even literally crying about those close to you. And he says, I've heard those prayers. And he says, I charge my angels over those you care for. I've heard your prayers. Even last night you were crying. God says, I've heard your prayers. And I've charged my angels over those you care for and you pray for. T.A. McCobb's not here, is she? They, She's here, but she's not. She's not in, the, in this building, is she? She's not, okay. Al, I thought uh, for you, my friend, you're a gentle giant. But God's saying it's more of an emphasis on the giant now going forward. And there's preparation for bigger things for you, my friend. You're a leader of men. You are a leader of men. And there's a time of preparation going on in your life now where it's preparation. Jesus was 30 when he got going, there's, you're not, there's a time, still, you're still in preparation. God's saying there are bigger things to come. Uh, you'll have to weigh this with people closer to you, but uh, IT, I don't know. I don't know if that's the Lord. You know, in time to come, I'm just wondering if God's saying there's something bigger for you. But you're in a time of preparation. You need mentoring by those in this church, and you need to talk to them about what that mentoring looks like, because I don't think IT is a thing. You should weigh that with them. But you're a gentle giant, my friend. But you're going to become more of a giant. Uh, can somebody help me? The, um, this is for you, Danny and Mary. Um, what is the job? I, I've been trying to think all morning. What's the job when the guys who put planes in order, when they stack them and they're coming into land? What's their job called? Air traffic, Air traffic control. Thank you. I've literally been trying to think of that all morning. <laughs> Danny, I just, uh, Mary, I was just thinking about your next jobs. And you think, where's the next job going to come from? God says, I'm your air traffic controller and I'm stacking them up for you. And you might say, I don't know where they're coming from. And you say, don't worry about it. I'm the air traffic controller. I'm your project manager. I know where they're all stacked and they're all waiting and they're circling. You do what you need to on the ground and I'll make sure the planes come in and the jobs come in at the right time. Because God says, I'm your air traffic controller. I'm your project manager. You're not, you're not actually very good at that. You're not actually very good at the stacking and the, the project control. It's not really in your gifting. God says, don't worry about it. I'm your project manager, and I'm your air traffic controller. Where's Alan? Alan Bills? Alan, God says to you, Psalm 46, be still, know that I'm God. And you're, you're a man with phenomenal potential. 
Now, I have loads of respect for your journey and your life story. But you have a tendency for new projects and doing the next thing. God says, be still for a while. And I think you're considering the next thing. God says, don't consider it. You need to slow down and actually consolidate for a year or two. Don't worry about the next thing all the time. God says, be still. Let me try my broken French. So, puis-je vous demander est-ce qu'il y a les gens français ici Esther, can you come up here, please? Oh, can you speak English? Okay, I don't think it's all right, okay. But I think God was, say, God was saying to you that um, you're here slightly by coincidence today, like there's another arrangement where you would have been somewhere else, but you've stayed on, you're here, and God says, I've got a plan for you, and I order your steps. I order your steps. I have an absolute plan. You're here slightly coincidentally, slightly wasn't planning to be here, or something, you'll stay here longer than you, you should have been, but God says, I order your steps, I have a plan for you. Yeah, that's it. I'd like to pray with you because that's all I have actually, but it would be good to pray with you. James, 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 Riley. God says to you that your workplace is not a wilderness. You need the Holy Spirit to come and help you. It is a wilderness. But when the Holy Spirit comes and we see your Holy, Holy Spirit come in your workplace, you're going to be a pastor in the workplace. You are a pastor in the workplace and it may feel like a wilderness until the Holy Spirit comes and brings water on your workplace. So we need to pray that the Holy Spirit comes because it is a wilderness. But God says, it is not a wilderness with me and you are a pastor in that workplace. And Laura, you are a leader of men. And this is what I felt God say to you is that you're in a workplace that's dominated by men and says, I, I'm making you a leader of men. And it doesn't matter what gender you are. I said, I'm making you a leader. I'm making you to stand up head and shoulders above everybody. And God says, don't worry about the targets. I will bless your targets. I will bring water and fruitfulness and rivers into your workplace. And that uh, you need to pray, as well as your work and your intellect and applying yourself hard and working hard, God says, when you pray, I'm going to bless your workplace. I'm going to make you stand up, head and shoulders above those men that you struggle to fight with and they annoy you. God says, don't struggle. Ask me to bless your work and it's going to come. Don't struggle. Don't play the games they play. Don't fight like they fight. You don't have to. God says, I am blessing you and making you a leader of men. I mean that literally. It's not a leader of people. You work with men. You will lead those men. God's with you to do that. Why don't we just all stand? The kingdom of God isn't a spectator sport. So uh, Jeremy and the band will come and play something which will, I'm sure, be wonderful.